ready to go. I have just a couple of announcements before Andrew comes up. Uh, once again, we want to welcome the online audience, and uh, some of you have been tweeting, and uh, one from uh, Jim, his quote was, don't let life talk you out of doing what God has called you to do. That's a good quote, isn't it? And then someone by, I think his name is Eric, you throw your heart into the ring and your body will follow. So pretty good quotes on, online. So again, uh, for those of you watching online, hashtag Campus Days 2013, we'd like to hear from you and uh, get your feedback on what's going on over here. It's great. Um, a couple other announcements. We have CDs and DVDs of every one of the sessions, and uh, you can. Uh, we are duplicating them live, so we have them after the sessions, and you can find them out next to the product where the T-shirts are and the shirts. Just to the right of that is a table with um, every single um, teaching that has been done up to date, and then you could also wait and order the entire set. We're offering a special, it's a really good deal, $40, and you could get every teaching session both morning and night, either CD or DVD, so that's a really good deal. We're probably losing money on that one. We need to talk, <laughs> but anyway, we just, you know what, we just understand the value of not just hearing it one time, just uh, hearing it and uh, getting it in you, because uh, we want you to do what God wants you to do, Amen. At immediately following Andrew's session, we are um, having a lunch. Those of you that want to stay for healing school, because healing, healing school starts at 1 o'clock, does not leave much time uh, to go out and come back. So what we have done is um, we have partnered, in a sense, with Chick-fil-A. I'm not sure that's the right word. But uh, Chick-fil-A is a, a great uh, Christian organization. They're just down the road. Well, um, we have purchased uh, some of their box lunches. I believe we purchased 500 box lunches of their Chick-fil-A sandwiches and cookie and chips. I'm not sure what's in there, but it's a pretty good uh, box lunch. So that will be in the CBC break room, and I think we're just asking for a donation only. We bought a bunch of these, and then what they do in turn is they give us a certain percentage back to our mission fund in that. So I, I believe, I don't know how much we're going to receive out of that, but I want to say it's 10 to 15% back out of this order. They are, it's what? 15%. And if you go back for dinner tonight, you can put your receipt in the box and they'll even give us more. It's for CBC. I might call Michelle up here because I'm confusing you. Think Chick-fil-A. That's all you need to do. All right. And uh, so that'll be immediately following. And then one other announcement. This is from Aaron, our admissions coordinator. Um, Aaron, remind those who will be international students the informational meeting today at noon in the back of the break room. So if you're an international student, you have any questions, um, you want to meet up with... Um, Erin, um, she will be in the back break room over there, and um, it'll be useful and helpful information. So bring your questions to that. And then also, this evening, she will be available at 6.30 in the break room uh, prior to the evening service to talk about the VA benefits, the GI Bill, etc. So she is here at your disposal to ask questions and, and all that. And I'd like to just introduce to everyone our registrar. Miss Vicki Rice, would you come on up here and greet everyone? This is Vicki Rice. She went through the school and graduated a few years back and has done a wonderful job. So this is Miss Vicki. Hello, everybody. How are you today? We just wanted to um, let you all know that tomorrow, starting at 1110, we will have an open registration period. We're going to be right here down the hall in room 128. So if you have not already turned in your application like you have been directed to do by the Lord, <laughs> we will be there waiting for you. Uh, we are also available across the hall. We are set up over there in our registrar department, and we can take your application at that time also. We have already received 17 applications. Already. 17 from here, and I think we've gotten two online, so that's absolutely awesome. Uh, I know some of you are 
still a little bit conflicted about what you're going to do and you feel like this is where you're going to be. It's like, is it okay if I get a little testimony? Short? Okay. <laughs> is it okay? Okay, great. Um, when my husband and I came here, it was, we were not on one accord to begin with. He had been, he was an associate pastor at a large church in Dallas and he was hearing and seeing different things in the word than what our Baptist church was teaching. And he, um, to quote him, he said, I think I'm losing my mind because this is not what I've been taught. And one day he was flipping channels and Andrew was on TV. And he started listening to him and he said, I'm not losing my mind. This is really in the word. <laughs> and so my husband, uh, he was the pastor of education at the church that we were going to. So imagine him believing one thing and trying to teach another at the church. So he finally came to me and said, I can't do this anymore, I've gotta go. So he left the church and didn't know where he was going or what he was going to do. He just said, I know God said I need to spend two years with him. Did not know anything about Karis Bible College or anything. He found out about the Family Bible Conference, came that summer, and I don't recommend this for any husbands, but he was here, he heard about the school, he called me from here and said, guess what, babe, we're moving to Colorado. <laughs> and of course, my brain is going tilt. <laughs> and I'm like, we're doing what? So he comes home and he is ready to pack up at that point and move. My heart wasn't there. I wasn't there at all. I was settled, we'd been married about a year and a half, I felt safe, I was comfortable. My brain wasn't having it. And the Lord spoke to him somewhat the way this uh, movie just did and told him, just leave her alone. I'm going to love her no matter what she does. And at that point, the Lord started speaking to me. And every obstacle that I had, everything I thought was such a big thing, one by one, he started just tearing those things down and showing me how he was going to work it out. The biggest thing, about a year before we got married, I purchased a house. I was a single mom. I'd raised my daughter. She was about 17. I'd worked two jobs, saving up money for this house. I'd bought this house. And I just could not get over the fact that, Lord, you blessed me with this house. Now i got to leave it? Really? And I couldn't get past that. And I remember one day, my daughter was gone. He was gone. It was just me at the house. And I was cleaning, and I had opened all the windows, and I went out to the front, got the mail. I walked back in the house, and I was standing in my living room. And I said, Lord, really? You want me just to leave this, just to give it up? Now, it wasn't a big, huge house, but it was mine, you know? And I'm standing there, and the Lord speaks to me, and he asks me a question. Is this the best you think I can do? And with my head down, <laughs> no, Lord, it's not. <laughs> and when my husband got home, I said, okay, fine, let's go. Now, we got here, and I'm not going to tell you it was smooth sailing. We had some ups and downs. But after I got here, the Lord spoke something else to me. And he said, I won't fail you. I will not fail you. I will not let go my hold of you. And some of you know the Amplified Bible. That's what the word says there in Hebrews 12. And I said, okay. I'm going to trust you. And from that point on, we have been blessed. We have been blessed to be here. We got jobs a couple of weeks after that, and we've just been blessed to be here. Now, the Lord told me when I asked him about the house, he said, is this the best you think that I can do? Well, a couple of years ago, my husband and I were blessed to build a brand new home here in Colorado Springs. <laughs> and it was by God's grace. It was his goodness and his faithfulness that allowed us to do that. So whatever you're hanging on to, whatever you think that you can't get past, just give it to God. Let him do that. If God has brought you here to attend Karis Bible College, and some of you, I talked to a couple people yesterday, and they said, we're just coming searching things out. That's not why he brought you here. <laughs> so go ahead, sign on the dotted line, and we will see you. <laughs> in August. Now, I know there are some people who have come here, Sheriff and 
And when you come up, there are some people who come here and you know you're supposed to be here, but finances can be a little tricky sometimes. So I have a couple of certificates for application fees that we're going to give out right now. Now, if you've come here and you've already got your $100, don't raise up your hand. <laughs> if you have, if you know that you're supposed to be here and you don't have it, raise up your hand. And I'm going to let these ladies give out those certificates. Now, what we want you to do, now that you have those certificates, that is your application fee. You need to come by the table. As soon as we get finished today, come by the table with your application. If you haven't filled it out, we've got some comfy chairs right there for you. You can fill them out there, and then we'll be ready to see you in August. Amen? Amen. That's great. Man, I've known Vicki for years. First time I've heard all that testimony. I tell you, everybody's got a story. It is just awesome. That is absolutely true. Did you have something else? Lawson just came to me and said, you know what? We want to do five scholarships of the $100. So Lawson and his church doing $500. So how are we going to do that now, Miss Vicki? Okay, give it to Miss Vicki, and uh, we'll create those little uh, Is there anybody else well. wants to do a scholarship? Anybody else? No, no you don't want else to receive wanna... it. I'm talking about want to give. Anybody else want to give a scholarship? Wow, what a deal. Let's get a bucket, somebody, and have a, have a bucket here. And let's receive this. this be a, man, what a blessing this is. Praise God. Now, you know, like Vicki said, if you've got your $100, and that's not an issue with you, don't take the uh, scholarship from somebody who really needs it. But if, if you want to give a scholarship, you can, uh, I don't know how we'll do this. I, I want a minister. <laughs> so uh, I tell you what, let's just put these buckets down here on the steps, leave them here. And while I'm ministering, it won't distract me a bit if somebody wants to come up here and put money in a bucket. <laughs> Amen. So just put the buckets down here on the front, and if you want to come give cash, you don't even have to give a whole scholarship. You could give $10 or whatever towards one if you'd like. Just come down here and uh, give, and we will take all of this money that comes in right here and use it towards scholarships for the uh, tuition. Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> Praise God. You know, God's systematically eliminating your excuses So, uh, praise God, you need to follow through with what God's calling you to do. You know, real quickly, let me just, you know, this is a period of time, March the 23rd, 1968. You've heard about that a number of times. And for 45 years, I've gone back. Actually, every day of my life, I've gone back and I've remembered and thought about what God has done. That's, I've got a great teaching entitled, Discover the Keys to Staying Full of God. And that's one of them is that you have to keep valuing and putting worth on what God has done. And I mean, every day of my life for 45 years, I've been remembering what God has done and how he touched my life, and I'm thankful for it. But also during this period of time, today is my oldest son's 39th birthday. And uh, so there's a lot of things that happened during this period of time. And I was just thinking yesterday, uh, I'll give a quick testimony, and then I'm going to open up the scriptures and teach some things that I learned through this. But um, back just over 39 years, I was pastoring the first little group in Sigaville, Texas. And we only had about a dozen people in the church. And it, we struggled. This is back during our poverty days, and we were struggle, struggling big time. I mean big time. Matter of fact, when Jamie was pregnant with Joshua, our first son, uh, she was eight months pregnant, and we went two weeks with no food. And it was my fault. It was uh, because I was called to the ministry. I knew that. And I had it in my mind that if you're called to the ministry, you're sinning against God if you do anything else. So I wouldn't work. And I had people offer me jobs. And I said, no, I'm called to the ministry. And I was spending my whole time, you know, just seeking God and praying and pastoring the church, which my heart was right, but my head was wrong. And the financial problems we went through, you do not have to do it that way. But you know what? God loved me. 
And praise God for Jamie. She never one time, never once in our 40-something years of marriage, never once has ever griped and complained and criticized me. If she had, I think it might have been more than I could have taken. Because, man, I was dealing with enough guilt and condemnation and problems without having my wife criticize me. But Jamie never one time criticized. But anyway, during this period of time, I was pastoring this little church and I was so discouraged because uh, we were going to have to come up with $600 for Joshua's birth. That's what the uh, hospital stay would cost. $600. And our entire income the first 12 months that we were married was $1,253, and we had $100 a month rent, not including utilities, food, or anything else. Uh, it was just impossible. We struggled big time. And here we were into our... Joshua was born about, I guess, 18 months or so, something like that after we were married. In our second year, our entire uh, income jumped up to $2,500. And it was bad. And so anyway, right before Joshua was born, we actually got kicked out of our house because we couldn't make the payments. We moved in with Jamie's parents. I was still driving back over to Sigaville, Texas, where I was pastoring this little church. Didn't take any money from the church. And it was just, you know, on paper, we were broke. We were more than broke. And I was discouraged. And I remember we got together... During the week over at one of our members' house, there was only five of us or something like that, and they wanted me to minister. And I said, I can't minister. I need you to minister to me. And um, everybody just laughed like, oh, no, you're, you're always free to minister. And so the, anyway, I just told them I'm not doing it. <laughs> and so we just sat there, and we were over at a person's house, and so they turned on the 700 Club. And we sat down as a church group and watched the 700 Club. And Kenneth Copeland happened to be hosting it that night. And he was teaching from 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ overcomes the world. And he was preaching that we've got world overcoming faith. And in my heart, you know, I was sitting there in front of these other people. And I was saying, Kenneth, I've preached this same thing. I believe this. I tried it. It didn't work. And I was thinking this. And he says, don't tell me it doesn't work. <laughs> he says, this is what the Bible says. And I said, but I've tried it. And he says, and I mean, I thought this. I didn't say it. And he says, that's the problem. You're just trying it. You aren't committed to it. And everything I thought, he came back and answered those things exactly. And I was just stunned like... This has got to be God. I know that this guy cannot be hearing what I'm thinking. And so here I was, and I was ready to quit and give up. I was ready to just throw in the towel because, I mean, you know, sooner or later, you just got to face reality, and reality was it wasn't working. And uh, so anyway, but he just, God rebuked me through Kenneth, and I decided I'm going to go ahead and believe God. And so that was about a week before Joshua was born here on the 21st. And so anyway, I went to a Bible study and I, I was doing Bible studies and ministering every day and doing things. And it would, be, it would not be unusual to get $3 in an offering or $4 or $5 is what I'd get. I went to this Bible study and ministered after I decided I would believe God and I would stand and I wasn't going to try it. It was going to work. And they gave me $600. It was enough to pay for Joshua to be born and everything. So the day that Joshua was born, we went there at like three o'clock in the morning. And uh, anyway, after he was born and everything, we had missed most of the night's sleep. And so I was still broke. We gave every penny we had to the hospital. And praise God, we were able to get in and pay for it. It was a miracle. And after I was, I was going back to my in-law's house to try and get some sleep. And I didn't have enough money for gas, and we, I was running out of gas. It was, it was beginning to start sputtering, and so I pulled into this service station, and I just sat there for a while, and I don't recommend this. <laughs> I'm not telling you that this was the right thing to do, but, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And I just coasted into this service station and stopped, and I got out and filled up my car. 
and I didn't have any money. And plus, you know, I didn't have a credit card. Some of you think, well, you could write written a check or use a credit card. We didn't have credit cards. We didn't have a bank account. There was no need for a bank account. The moment I got anything, boom, it was gone. <laughs> and uh, I just got, I just filled up my car. I didn't know what to do, but I filled up my car. And I felt so ashamed, and I felt like, how am I going to do this? And I wasn't going to steal the gas. So I went in to just tell them what I'd done and to ask them for mercy. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I went in just to tell them, I'm sorry, but I filled up my car and I don't have any money. And when I got in there, there was a guy in there that was a friend of mine. He, he went to one of my Bible studies and stuff, and he says, what are you doing in town? Because we were in a different town than what we were pastoring the church. He says, what are you doing over here? And I said, well, my son was just born this morning at 5.21 a.m. And he says, that's awesome. He says, here, this tank of gas is on me. And he just paid for it. And I never did tell him what had happened, but thank you, Jesus. Amen. (laughs) It worked. Man. But, you know, I was thinking about that, that look what God has done in 39 years that here we are building a $53 million facility debt-free. The first step's $32.3 million or whatever it is, and, and we're only $6 million away from having it done. We've got $26 million extra in the bank to pay for all of this. I tell you, brothers and sisters, some of you, Look at where we are, where Stephen is now, or somebody else that ministers, and you think, well, you just don't know what I've been through. Man, I've been poorer than most of you have ever thought about being. And, you know, I was raised really affluent. I was raised in a really nice upscale home. My dad, we were really well off. I never knew it because they didn't act that way. But when I got started in ministry, my stinking thinking and the residual religious stuff that I had in me, we went 10 years where I could have been on food stamps for 10 years. We were just a breath away from death all of the time. I'd go and get an apartment and they'd say it's $400 a month when we first moved here to Colorado Springs. And I said, sure. And after I got back out to the car, I thought I I hadn't come up with $400 a month in my entire life. (laughs) And I just committed to $400 a month. I've never had that much money in my life. And I signed a lease. (laughs) And you know what? We never missed a payment. It all came through and God blessed us. But I mean, we went for decades just struggling. And uh, I know that this may not feel like it fits, but I just felt impressed to share with you just real quickly. I've only got 25 minutes or so. I want to share with you some of the things that God spoke to me about finances And this is just like, you know, what Stephen was saying. Some people think that ministry is all about uh, the anointing and standing up here and delivering a sermon and stuff. And Stephen was sharing with you that, man, we need storytellers. We need people with different giftings to come along and help us. I couldn't do what I'm doing. I don't know a thing about TV. I couldn't do what I'm doing if I didn't have Stephen and all of his department that know things about TV and that make it look good and make all of this stuff happen. There's many different ways of being in ministry. But, you know, I struggled for decades, and I remember a board meeting where my board just told me, you're broke. You're bankrupt on paper, and they were going to shut the ministry down. They were going to take what little assets we had and give them all away and said, you're bankrupt. It's over. We're shutting the ministry down. I remember that. That wasn't that long ago. That was after we were here in Colorado Springs. And I just told them, I said, well, let's pray. And so while we were praying, my mother at that time was the one who opened up the mail. And she called and says, we just got a check for $60,000 from a church that I had never been to before or since. And we, praise God, we snuck by that one. But I was just on the verge of, of total destruction forever. And now we're prospering. And I tell you, it doesn't happen accidentally. There is a reason why that happens. And I could minister on this for days. But let's turn over here to Luke chapter 16. And I just want to share some simple things with you that the Lord spoke to me. And when I saw these things, it changed me. Also, one last testimony before I get right into these scriptures. I had been in ministry for... This This happened about 
I'm, I don't know the exact timing on this, but it would have been somewhere around 96, 1996. I have been in the ministry since 68. And so that was nearly 30 years worth of ministry. And I was still struggling financially. We had collectors. Uh, our ministry was turned over to collectors often. We had lawyers come against us, and they were going to throw us in jail. And we just struggled because, I mean, we didn't have the money. And we had already started the school. We started the school in 94, and we were struggling. The very first missions trip that we took, we took our students to uh, Ireland, and I went in debt, $20,000, and I had to go take out a personal loan. The ministry couldn't afford it, and the ministry didn't have the money. And so I went out and took a personal loan and had to pay the $20,000 debt that we went into for our first missions trip. And we were just struggling, bumping along. We were reaching lots of people. Good things were happening, but finances was not part of the good things. We were just always behind. And there was this friend of mine, Dean Melton, who pastors in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I've been going to his, I've been going to his church now for nearly 30 years every September. And Dean Melton uh, is a super prosperous guy. The guy lives in a house that's 700 square feet. He bought it for uh, $2,400 in 1950-something, and he and his wife have lived in it forever. But this guy is a millionaire, and he lives in a 700-square-foot house. He's never driven a new car. He's never taken an offering from the church. He has a tire store where he sells secondhand deals, and through that, he gives 90% of all of his income away and lives off 10%, and he has probably 40 or 50 rent houses, and that's where he gets all of his money from. And the guy is super prosperous, but he doesn't use it on himself. He uses it for other. And his church is made up primarily of drug addicts and prostitutes, dope addicts, alcoholics, people that are released from the prison system directly to him. And I've been there many times, and I've seen people come directly out of jail and come to him, and he has to take their money, and he wears fatigues a lot, and he has pockets all up and down his legs, and he has one person's billfold over here, and he manages their money because these people have never managed their money. So anyway, he teaches them how to do it. And I remember this one guy, Tyrone, came out of... I was there the day he got out of prison, and he came to Pastor Dean. Pastor Dean told him, he says, all right, I'm going to teach you how to manage money, and I'm going to teach you what to do. And he just starts telling them, and he, he keeps their money, and they have to come ask him if they want to get a pack of gum. They got to get money from him for everything because they don't know how to manage money. And I was with him when Tyrone came and he, had to, he made him hand over his billfold. Now, this isn't for everybody, but for that group of people that Pastor Dean pastors, they need this kind of hands-on uh, control. So anyway, he took his money and, uh, and I was there during that week and Tyrone came one day at lunch and he said, Pastor Dean, could I have $5? And he says, what do you need money for? And he says, I hadn't eaten all day. And he says, did you study the Word this morning? And he says, well, you know, I was at church late last night cleaning up, and then I overslept, I had to get up and go straight to work. And he says, I hadn't had time to be in the Word. He says, if you don't have time to be in the Word, you don't have time to eat. And he wouldn't really give him any money. <laughs> I know some of you are like, well, man, that's terrible. Did you know the next year when I went back, Tyrone was making $10,000 a week because Pastor Dean taught him how to prosper. $10,000 a week. I saw this happen year after year after year. And so finally, I invited Pastor Dean to come minister in our school. And I just sat down and I said, I'm going to learn what this man knows about finances because he's got something that I don't have because it wasn't working for me after nearly 30 years. And I sat down with a yellow pad of paper and I was there to take notes and I listened to him three hours for two days, six hours total, and I never took a single note. He didn't say one thing that I didn't already believe. <laughs> but you know what happened? He believed it, and I didn't believe it. I had the knowledge. I don't even have the words to convey this to you, but I knew what he knew, but I didn't believe what he knew. I was apologetic about finances because I was thinking that people would think I was taking up offerings and preaching on finances so that I could get money 
And I was embarrassed and I was afraid of what people would think. The fear of man brings a snare. And I could go on forever with this testimony, but the Lord just spoke to me that, you know what, you're, you're embarrassed. You don't really believe. You know, when I preach on healing, I don't preach on healing for me. I preach on healing for you. When I preach on righteousness, I don't preach on that for me. I preach on it to share with you. But when it came to finances, I was apologetic and fearful. I had let the fear of man keep me from really believing in these things. And I saw through Pastor Dean that he just didn't give a rip what anybody thought. He believed what the Word said. And he wasn't ashamed to tell people what the Word of God had to say about finances. And man, it changed my life. And I mean, something snapped on the inside of me. And we were holding meetings. I would invite people. I'd invite Charlie and Jill LeBlanc and one or two other speakers and including all of the expenses, flying everybody in, paying for the room, the hotel, and giving them an offering. It was usually around $10,000 for a three-day meeting. And I would get somewhere around $9,958 or I'd get $10,005. It was always just right at break even, never extra, but just enough. Did you know the very next week after God showed me that, I went out, I didn't do a single thing different. I didn't believe anything different, but I just repented and I said from now on, Father, I'm going to believe what your word says. And I mean, I don't care what anybody else says. And I mixed faith with that knowledge I had, and we went out and held a meeting. It was about $10,000 expense, and we got twenty-five and dollars and $50,000 to compensate for a $10,000 expense. I mean, everything just changed. And since that time, with one other adjustment, Paul Milligan came in and showed me some things. I hadn't got time to go through that. But we have never been behind financially. We've been improving. Then in 2002, God showed me some other major things and told me how to take the limits off of God and since that time, we are now, I mean, a hundred times, 200 times uh, greater in income and percentages. And we've got savings again. We've got this money to be able to pay cash for a 26, I mean, for a $32 million building. We're going to be paying cash for it. And the reason I'm teaching on all of this is to say that this is a part of what God has to do in your life. It takes money to do what God tells you to do. And there are some of you that you feel God is leading you to come to Bible school, but one of your very first considerations and probably one of your biggest considerations is what about the money? How am I going to afford it? I'm going to say something that's going to go over the head of 90% probably of you. But if you evaluate what God tells you to do in terms of how can I afford it, you are living at a very low level of walking with God. You ought to get to a place to where, what did God tell you to do? And if God tell you to, told you to do it, just do it. But I don't have the money. That is not a make or break deal. If God calls you to do something, wherever God guides, He will provide. There is a way for you to get that money and for the money to flow. And if you are sitting here and you know something is in your heart, but you are letting money keep you from doing it, you are not walking with God. You are not in the place that God wants you to live. You ought to get to a place to where you determine God's will, not based on do I have the money to do it. Now, money is necessary I'm not saying that you ignore it and you just do things totally irresponsible, but you shouldn't let money dictate to you what God told you to do. You know, when we started this process, I may never get to these scriptures. <laughs> I've only got 15 minutes left. But when we started this process, we knew that this facility, we had outgrown it. And uh, we were trying to say, what do we do? We called Stephen together. We had a number of our people together, some of the leaders in our ministry, and we said, all right, what do we do? We've got to do something. Do we break the school up and do we put first year in one building and second year in another building and third year in another building? Do we uh, stay here in the springs? Do we go somewhere else? Do we separate AWM and CBC? And we just took every possible way that we thought that you could possibly deal with this thing and we began to pray about it. And what do we do? And, and we just decided, we came to some decisions 
not based on finances. We did it on what is the best solution. How do we deal with this thing? And we didn't ignore finances, but it was, I, don't think, I don't think when we met together, Stephen, that we ever even discussed finances. I don't think we ever talked about it. It was what's the best solution for this? How do we accommodate what God wants to do? And we began the process and started this process and we went and did some things and we were a long ways down the road towards this before we ever said, all right, what's this going to cost us? And then we did have to deal with finances. And I'm saying we've planned some things. I'm not totally irresponsible. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we were way down this process and God showed us this piece of property and showed us what he wanted and we did. We made all of these decisions before we ever decided what is this going to cost us. And I tell you, there are most people don't even think that way. Most people let their finances dictate to them what they can do, what God is telling them to do. I'm telling you, God doesn't even live there. He doesn't even visit that place. That is not the way that God is. If God tells you to do something, your first thought ought to be, yes, sir. I will do it. And then you need wisdom and say, God, all right, show me how I'm going to do it. But it never should be, God, I'll do it if. If you will give me enough money, if you will make this happen, if these, this will happen, that, that never enters into my consciousness. You just do what God tells you to do. And then you say, now, Father, how do we do this? How do we overcome this? I don't have the money for this. How do we do things? And God will give you wisdom and steps along the way. But this whole thing of letting money be God and money dictate to you what you will or will not do is not a Christian concept. Thank you for that one. Amen. Amen. You can't serve God and mammon, money, at the same time. You got to get to the place to where what does God tell you to do? And then you start moving in that direction. And you don't, you don't go out and fill up your gas if you don't have any money unless you have a direct word from God or something. <laughs> Amen. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible, but I'm telling you that you've got to start moving in the direction that God tells you and not let money dictate to you. I've got about 12 minutes. Let me share just real quickly some things with you. This parable in the 16th chapter of the book of Luke is powerful. I wish I had time to teach on that. But anyway, after Jesus taught this parable about a man who had been stealing money from his master and his master found out about it and he says, put your books together and if what I've heard is true, I'm going to fire you. And the man knew it was true. He'd been stealing money. So he continued to steal money. He thought, I'm going to be fired, so here's what I'm going to do. He called all of his creditors in, and it says he called everyone. It only gives two examples, but I believe that's just a sampling. He called every creditor of his very rich Lord in, and he says, what do you owe, my master? And one said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, right, 80. I've discounted your bill, 20%. He called another one in, how much oil do you owe? And he says, so much. And he says, I'll give it to you for 50%. And he rewrote the contracts. So he was still basically stealing money from his master. He was taking his master's money and he was using it to bribe people because he knew he was going to be fired. He was guilty. And so he started planning ahead and he still was stealing money from his master. But instead of putting it in his pocket, he started giving it to other people as bribes so that when he got fired, he'd be able to go knock on their door and say, hey, do you remember I discounted your bill $100,000 and I'm fired? Could I stay with you for a while? Could I eat your food? And these people felt obligated to him. You know, that's not that unusual, but what's really unusual is verse 8 where it says that the master, when he found out what his servant had done, commended him. It says that was smart. Man, there's a great message in that. I hadn't got time to preach it. But the master commended him. And part of this thing is that for the first time, he began to realize the true power of money. Money gives you power. Money gives you influence. To Christians, that's nearly profanity. No, I don't want anything to do with that filthy lucre. Well, if you feel that way, you need to come put all of your filthy lucre in these buckets, amen. 
Get rid of it. Just get rid of that filthy lucre, amen. Give it to me because I can use it. No, most Christians, you just think that somehow or another it just supernaturally happens. That's not true. This man had been taking money, stealing money, but he didn't have a thing to show for it. It says in the fourth verse, he says, what can I do? I'm afraid, I'm ashamed to beg, or I, I can't beg, or he says, I can't dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. He should have been ashamed of stealing. Wasn't ashamed to steal, but he was ashamed to beg. And he, he says, I can't dig. The truth is he probably could have dug. He probably could have been manual, uh, you know, done manual labor. He just didn't want to do it. But those statements make quite a, give us a revelation that all of this money he had stolen from his master, he hadn't invested it. He hadn't put it away. He didn't hide it someplace. He didn't have it in a bank. He'd blown it. He'd been buying cars and DVRs and, and things like this and phones. He'd blown all of this money that he had stone, stolen from his employer. He didn't have a thing to show and he was going to be out on the street broke. You know why his employer commended him? Because finally, when he realized he was going to lose his job, he realized the power of money to influence people. And he began to use money. He was still stealing it, but he began to use it to influence people and to prepare for his future. And that's the reason his master commended him. He didn't commend the fact that he was stealing, but he says, finally, you've learned something. You were in a position where you managed huge amounts of money and you could have been using that influence that money gave you to touch people's lives, but instead you were just blowing it on your own stuff. You were, you were spending it on things that don't count. So anyway, that's a portion of this parable. And then in verse 9, here is Jesus making the application of this parable. Luke chapter 16, verse 9, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends, of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. So here's Jesus' point in telling this parable. He says, learn from this, to use unrighteous mammon, which is an old English way of saying money, use money to make to yourselves friends, to touch people's lives so that when you fail, this word fail here is the exact same word that was translated die a number of times. This is talking about death, that when you die, they will receive you into everlasting habitations. So here's the point that he was making with this parable. This man was stealing money. He had huge volumes of money, but he was just blowing it on stuff. But when he realized he was going to lose his job, he began to start using this money to touch people and influence them so that when he lost his job, he would have people beholding to him and he would be able to sustain himself. Now, that's not validating or commending his methods that he used, but at least, see, he was using money and looking to the future and seeing the power that money had to prepare for his future. And this is why that this master said that the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. People who aren't born again, they aren't thinking about heaven and they aren't thinking about the second return of the Lord. I know that there's actually, I've known people who've actually gone out and have bought bunches of stuff on credit and adjustable rates where it's going to go through the roof and they know they can't make it, but they say, you know, Jesus is coming back and I'll leave the Antichrist with my debt. I've known people that have done that. But people that don't know the Lord and don't think about the second coming of the Lord and don't think about, well, they're all going to go to heaven. This life is the only focus they've got. They're actually more diligent with their money and they prepare for their future and think about their old age more than most Christians do. But here's the point that Jesus was making. You should use money and invest it so that you could touch people's lives and change people's lives so that when you die... Those people that you've touched with money will be lined up in heaven to welcome you into heaven. This is a literal statement from Jesus who knows all about this. Someday when we die, we are going to have people to welcome us into heaven who we've touched their lives, who we've made a difference in their lives. And there's going to be people lined up to thank us. And that's not only through going out and you know, just you physically touching them. But Stephen, 
All of these things that he was talking about. Did you know there's going to be people that Stephen has touched their lives through what he's given to me and how he's helped me. And there's going to be billions of people that have never heard the name of Stephen Bransford, but they'll be there to welcome him into heaven because of what he's done. And when you give into the kingdom, did you know that that money that you give, it's not leaving your life. It's just touching people. It's changing people's lives. And someday in eternity, you are going to have millions and millions and millions of people lined up to thank you for taking that money and using it to change their lives. You know, I can promise you this. Most people's, uh, most people's criticism against prosperity is because they say it's selfish. You're just preaching, have a bigger house, a bigger car, bigger this, bigger that. And I'm, I don't believe God's against us having very nice things. I'm not against any of that. But like this Pastor Dean that I was telling you about, he's a very prosperous man. Millions of dollars flow through his hand, but he lives in a 700-square-foot home. He's never driven a new car, wouldn't drive a new car. He wouldn't spend the money because the moment you drive it off the lot, it loses $5,000 worth of value. And so he just buys used cars and things like this. I bought him a car because he wouldn't buy it for himself. <laughs> and... Um, Anyway, see, most people think, well, you're just preaching on prosperity. You're one of these prosperity guys. Well, certainly I'm a prosperity guy. I don't believe in debt. I don't believe in poverty. I'm a prosperity preacher, but I don't preach that you do it for yourself. It's not about selfish things. I believe in prosperity so that I can, man, have Bible colleges and do things and touch people's lives all over the world. Money gives you influence. Right now, we could not be building this campus if we didn't have money. We couldn't have 34 schools scattered all over the world. And you know what? We pump, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into all of these schools every month all over the world to subsidize them and make it happen. We wouldn't be having this impact. I put nearly $20,000 a month into Uganda every month. And I send money over there. I couldn't do that if I didn't have money. I believe in prosperity, not so that I can get rich and have things. I drive a Jeep out here. It's a five-year-old Jeep. I live in a house that I built for $60,000. Most of you live in a much nicer house than I live in. And I'm a very prosperous man. I got lots of money. I could live in a million-dollar house if I wanted to. But I live in a house that I built for $60,000. And you know what? I'm not using money for me. I'm using it to put into the gospel. And this is the point that I'm trying to get across is that we need to quit thinking about prosperity and money just so that you can have stuff. You need to put it into changing people's lives. You need to put all of your effort into changing people's lives, touching people, making a difference in people's lives. And someday, literally, when you die, there will be people lined up as far as the eye can see, to thank you for investing in touching their life. Did you know every bit of money you put into a house, or if you can put it into gold, you can put it into diamonds, something that's the you know, most enduring substance we have here, every bit of that's going to be gone. Every bit of money you spend on this life is going to be absolutely gone. But every bit of money that you put into the kingdom and you invest to touch a person's life, that's never going to leave your life. It's just going to enter into your future where it grows and multiplies. And you'll be having people come by your mansion a million years from today saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you'll be reaping benefit from money that you give right now. Anything you keep, you lose. It's gone. And you need to keep some of it. God doesn't want you living under a bridge. I'm not saying he minds you taking care of yourself. But if you had this concept that we were talking about, you'd say, God, how little do I have to have to be able to take care of my needs and be a good testimony and take care of my family? And how much can I possibly invest in the kingdom? Because everything you keep, you're going to lose. Everything you give, it, you never lose it. You'll be coming up to me in heaven and you'll be saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for getting that money out of my pocket. Because it's only what you give that you get to keep. Everything you keep, you lose. You know, I hadn't thought on this, but we got to take an offering. I can't preach on this and not take an offering. Man, you need to act on what I'm talking about. And some of you need to shake loose from some of that money and you need to put it into the gospel. 
And you need to help us reach out and touch people's lives. It takes us over $2 million a month just to pay our bills and to be on television and do the things that we do. And by sowing today, you're going to be a part of that. If you'd like to give, hold your hand up if you, if you need an offering. And if you'd like an offering envelope, one of our um, students here will get you an offering envelope. I'm probably going to go just a minute or two past the bell here. But man, you know, there's some things more important than eating. Amen. So if you need an offering envelope, hold your hand up just real quickly. All of this, let's pick these up because all of this goes towards these scholarships. So everything that comes in in this next offering will just go towards the missions fund or towards us helping build the facility up there or whatever. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for these truths. I pray that, Father, you speak this to people. Father, I pray that you would help us get to a place that we do not evaluate your will based on our pocketbook, that we would not limit what you can do, limit your voice because of our lack of supply. Father, I pray that you just speak that into people. I pray that you instill faith in people about finances here today. And as we sow these seeds, we thank you that this is going to change people's lives, that there will be millions and millions of people touched by the power of God through these gifts and that literally someday in heaven, people will come up and say, do you remember that offering March the 21st, 2013? Then I'm a life that was changed. Because of that. Father, we want to give and be a blessing. And so we sow these gifts and we thank you for it. Believe for an abundant return here and in eternity in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can receive the offering. Let me remind you real quickly about the lunch here. We've got, I think uh, Michelle said, 500 of these lunches that we have. And so you're welcome to go back. That's just on a donation basis. Give if you can. If you don't have anything to give, you can eat anyway and we'll make up the difference. We'll get the blessing instead of you. And then remember at one o'clock, we're going to have healing school right here. We'll start praise and worship and it'll be somewhere around 1.30, I'll be up ministering and I've got some great, great things to share that's going to be a blessing. So after the bucket, are you listening? After the bucket comes by, you can leave. Amen. Not until. Praise God. Thank you. We'll see you here in just.